This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast, guys. It's your host, Matt, and I am ready and excited to be able to talk about buying land. Yes, that's right. Today's t- podcast topic, we're talking about buying land and all the procedures and, and the order in which you need to go about things to make this a smooth transaction and transition to becoming a landowner the responsibility, the, the the ability to be a land steward um, on a place that you own. Land ownership is such an amazing, amazing thing. And we talk about, you know, the, the details, the habitat, this and that. But like we have in the past just kind of moved on from the thing of, uh, hey, we got to get land first. And, and that's essentially what we're going to talk about today on the podcast, and we're bringing in a very successful, a very humble, um, very honest Whitetail Properties agent to be able to discuss how to go about preparing yourself. Let's say let's say land ownership or land purchasing readiness. That That's what we're talking about today. We're talking loans, we're talking time frames, we're talking wants, needs, um, all those different aspects as a as a potential land buyer. This is gonna be good for for folks who are new to the game of buying land, but also maybe who have had several transactions underneath their belt. Um and, and you know they there's always good points when you're when you're talking with um Ben Richardson from Whitetail Properties about land and transactions. He's seen a ton of properties move, exchange hands, and um, that type of um, person who does it day in and day out. They've seen things, but they've certainly learned things along the way. And uh, we're going to talk with Ben, and uh, he's going to share his knowledge and, and and the process in which that he goes through with, with buyers that call daily. So guys, sit back, enjoy the podcast, and uh, hopefully you guys like it and can find an agent yourself, Whitetail Properties agent in your area and get a hold of some ground. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get Ben on the line. All righty, Ben, are you there? Yep, I got you, Matt. Man, what's happening? How are you? All great. It's it's going great. Good. Good. How uh how hot is it in Alabama today? The humidity is up. Season kind of come to a close, and it's getting into those uh, that time of year where you kind of transition and start thinking about the work you have to do on your farm. Summer, you know, summer work. Right. So it's it's here. It's upon us. It is coming fast up here in Missouri. Um, well, man, I I appreciate you coming on, taking the time to um, join us on the podcast. And, and for those who are listening, this is Ben Richardson of Whitetail Properties. And um, Ben is an agent out of Alabama, um, and, and that's as much info as I'm going to give. And, and, and just essentially, Ben, I want to turn it over to you um, and provide us with your, your background, um, you know, because you've got extensive knowledge in real estate, 
both in the selling um, aspects, the buying aspects, and, and all the other components in it. And, and I think giving some uh, experience is going to help lead into you know why you may have certain um, procedures or, or certain things that first-time buyers should be considering. It kind of gives that well-rounded deal. So tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about uh, Ben and um, your, kind of your passion for property. Okay. Be glad to. Uh, my, my background, and to, to get me to the point of where I'm at, at today, I'll start back. I, I went and studied horticulture at Auburn University. Mm-hmm. I had a passion for, for growing plants. My dad has a commercial greenhouse. That's where I grew up working in a commercial greenhouse. We sold wholesale bedding plants nice. around the southeast. And so I went to Auburn University, studied that. But uh, some more doors opened up more opportunities and i actually became the nursery manager at a place in alabama called purcell farms mm-hmm. i worked there several years we also had we had about 3600 acres so we managed it intensively for wildlife we we had guided deer hunts turkey hunts uh, quail hunts duck hunts dove hunts so all, all of that we uh, we managed for at a high level mm-hmm and since a kid, since I was a kid, I've just always been intrigued with hunting and wildlife. I think I uh, harvested my first deer when I was 11, first turkey, maybe, maybe 13, 14. And it's just been all, I've just always been intrigued with how you can manipulate the habitat to improve wildlife. I can't, I can't really describe it, but it's just been something that's been intriguing to me. Yep. What we implemented that there at Purcell Farms, and then it's, I was there for about six years and just by just happenstance, I met a fellow at a QDMA seminar. I traveled to Illinois and I met a fellow there and we had on the same cap of all things. And I introduced myself. He said, Hey, I'm Wesley McConnell. You know, I said, Richardson, we struck up a conversation and it just so happened. He was the owner of Whitetail property. He was one of the original owners. And so we kind of, I told him, you know, that I'd, I enjoy wildlife photography. And he said, well, I'm I'm in the production department. He said, in fact, I'll share my email and we can kind of go over uh, what we use, what camera gear. And I said, all right, that'd be great. You know, so over the course of a few months, we exchanged emails and, and I got some camera gear and kind of started practicing with it. And he called me out of the blue one day and said, hey, we, we have a spot available for a freelance cameraman. Can you be? you know, in Pittsfield, Illinois, these certain dates. And it just so happened we were going there anyway. I was going to film my my wife uh, on a deer hunt, and she would much rather me film Wes than film her. <laughs> so right. She, she like, yeah, sure, let's go for it. And, uh, you know, I took the camera gear in, very green, very, very novice, you know, just self-taught right. uh, uh, photographer and videographer. But Wes, he kind of, you know, helped me out those first few days. And I was lucky enough. I filmed a, you know, a good buck kill about day four. And then I filmed, switched over and filmed one of his buddies, uh, I think on day six. So he had two nice. good kills and, and they were like, Hey man, if we could, if we could have you for the rest of the year, that would be awesome. And so long story short, I started freelancing and for about three years I would film between 100 and 120 days during the fall. Well, I might travel to start off in Kansas, uh, move to Kentucky, 
you know, back mm-hmm. to Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, Texas, Minnesota, you know, all through the Midwest uh, throughout the season from September until January filming hunts. Yep. So I got the opportunity to see some of the best highly managed places around the country, just how different, you know, hunting styles, sure. different habitat types. And it was just tremendous learning opportunity. Also was able to work with several of our agents, you know, our agents throughout the country. Yep. Uh, like Todd Bigby and Rich Ball and, and Mark Williams and Paul Sawyer, you know, and several others, I mean, dozens. But that those were the main main ones that I filmed and uh and 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 that was for about three years and then six years ago I talked with Dan Perez another owner and he said all right we're growing into Alabama since you grew up right there in northeast Alabama if you're up for it that'll be your territory and 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 I was I was ready I mean I, I love the land business and yep. I said that for it and that was six years ago and hadn't looked back since I, awesome. I sell and day in and day out that's all i do i love it i love it so that's 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 awesome of the the background I, di- I didn't know you know your your education um and prior work experience had included just a you know gen- you you understand plants you understand how they work you understand um you know management from the wildlife side of things you also know the top end properties and uh you know all the different elements of land and recreational land more specifically um so obviously well-rounded very knowledgeable and in six years of real estate um you've probably closed a a, a handful of properties or two huh Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, we've we've had a good steady run good very good and and probably ranging in in sizes too kind of what what would you say is the average farm property like size that you sell and then, and then kind of give like a, a low end average and then a high end average on just sizes. Yeah. Me personally, I've sold anywhere from, you know, a lot, a small yep. lot, four acre track, six acre track up to 2,900 acres was my largest personal sale. Right. And in between just on average in this area, if I just had to give an average, it's going to be in that 40 to 200 acre range yep. a lot of stuff in the 60 to 100 acre type range sure uh is just what what the market kind of is yep in this part of north alabama perfect perfect so uh, essentially and, and i think that may that may surprise some some people i think a lot of people always are looking or at least the ones that catch their eye are the the 350 to 800 acre tracks like, oh man that's just my dream one day right but in reality, a lot of land is moving in that 50 to 100 type acre um, increment. And, and it kind of leads us into the conversation I want to have with you today um, it, it, regarding buying property, buying land. This can be, you know, a guide, if you will, for maybe that first time land buyer and they haven't gone through the process. They haven't gone through the financing, all the detailed stuff of um, you know what it takes to be able to go from I'm interested to I've closed on my first piece. So, um, you know, I, I'm just going to kind of turn it over to you and and allow you to just let's say maybe maybe the first the first thing we'll talk about is what should someone be prepared for or what should someone who's interested in buying a piece do 
prior to contacting an agent? What, okay. what, what, what do you what do you think? I, I feel like I can answer this question because I answer it uh, almost on a daily basis. Right. If you can imagine in this position, I get calls from buyers literally every day, usually multiple buyers per day, and they're at various stages of the land buying process. Sure. You know, some, some folks have bought 20-plus farms, so they're up to speed on kind of the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, other folks, just first-time buyers, so we'll, we'll kind of break it down. Right now, the, the steps, there's kind of three first steps to do as the first step, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. One thing, if you want to out, you want to figure out where am I going to get the money? Sure. You know, do I have the cash or am I going to get financing? So in most areas, in all areas, really, there's going to be uh, lenders that are set up to, to lend on rural land. Yep. This area, you have First South Farm Credit, uh, Alabama Farm Credit. There's rural first in other areas of the country. Yep. But if you research your area, you'll find a land lender that is that lends specific on rural land. It can be recreational, production, timberland. They're just used to doing it. Your yep. local banks, they're, they're good local banks, don't get me wrong. If you know somebody local that lends on land, that's great. That would be a little unusual, but still great. Sure. But th- there are land lenders in every part of the country, so seek those out. In doing that, you can contact a land specialist because they're going to know those lenders to work with. Yes. So kind of simultaneously, you want to contact a land specialist and also contact the land lender. Those are the two. That would be two good first steps. Those are two steps, but they could be done simultaneously. Certainly. And uh, I, I, I know that this is a broad question or broad question that kind of has a, a wide answer as well. But like for... For someone who says, okay, I don't have the cash to be able to purchase this place. I'm going to be doing some financing. Current market today, what what does interest rate look like? And what is a general down payment percent of the total when you're looking at a, you know, a, a loan on land from, from a, one of these lenders that you, that you work with? Okay, I'll give you a general answer, but it's going to be specific to each person. And you can talk with your lender and they can come up with other options. But this is just in general. General, A land lender is going to require 15% down. So they'll require 15% down payment. Mm-hmm. And on a, on a fixed rate loan, you're looking, you know, right now, interest rates are bumping up slightly. They're still very low for historical average. They are slightly bumping up at the moment. But you're going to look at a, you know, around 6%, you know, maybe a little over, maybe a little less sure. right now at the moment. Uh, and that's on a, that would be on a 15-year fixed rate. And then land lenders, they can go up, you know, it just depends on the situation and the buyer. There are situations where you, if you own other pieces of land, they can use that as collateral and, you you know, you won't have to put as much down payment or, or no down payment, no situations. But it's just important to talk through, find that good lender and talk through your specific scenario, and then they can lead you to a to a solution that's good for you. Absolutely. Right, right. Okay, so so 6% or so and factoring in 15% cash down payment 
on a property, that'll get you essentially in the door with most lenders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Sure. Perfect. What else? What else? What's next? What else? Someone should they be looking for and, and getting set in place? And along with those first two steps, you need to decide. All right, where where do I want the property? What is the location? Mm-hmm. I, what region am I kind of honing in on? Do I want to be within 30, 45 minutes of, of my residence of where I live? Uh, or, you know, is it, am I all right having a weekend place that's two or three, four hours away? Sure. So I think that's another thing because that's going to judge who you select as a lender and also who you select as an agent. Absolutely. Right. And look, you know, what tell properties we have, we have over 340 agents in 30, we're in 36 or maybe even 37 states now. So the odds are, you know, there's a whitetail properties agent in the area. And, and that's what we're designed to do. You know, that's most right. of our, our full-time agents, that's all we do day in and day out is sell land. And I even have a buyer's agent. We have so much, so many buyers, buyer pool is so big. I have a buyer's agent. His name's Tracy Colburn. He exclusively works with buyers. I still I work with a lot of buyers too, but we have so many that he works with some. I work with some. We work a lot together. Perfect. So, yeah. So. That's what do. So. I I think it'd be I think because you you talked about reaching out to an agent. I think there's sometimes this thought from buyers that said, "Well, why do I need to work with an agent?" What what would you say that? How would you answer that question? What's the what's the advantages of working with an agent and just you know instead of instead of doing the whole like, hey, this this property's got a different guy. I'm going to call him. This property's got a different guy. If you will, kind of shopping around and feeling the situation out. Yeah, I I have a good answer to that, and it's a, a real life example. Uh, I would say probably. Of my last 20 listings, 10 of them probably went under contract before they ever went on the website. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's just because the buyer pool, it's folks that have contacted me and said, hey, here's the specifics of what I'm looking for. When it becomes available, let me know and, and I'll be ready. Mm-hmm. That's what's happened. It's still good to look at websites, but it is a huge benefit to reach out to agents that are, you know, in that area. That's why it's important to kind of pick your zone or area and say, Hey, here's what I'm looking for. I've got a detailed list here. Here are my must haves. Here are my wants. You know, I'd like to have this, but here is the criteria and lay it the more specific, the better. And here, lay it out there. And then once it becomes available, especially in this market, properties are going, just lightning fast. So if you're the first person to know about it and see it and ready, you know, you're going to, you're going to get the property. Whereas I think a lot of people, well, I don't think I know they do because I get it a lot. I'll have a property that, that comes that, that hits the website and it's somebody that calls about it and, and it may have just went under contract, you know, and I tell them that and they'll just kind of hang up the phone like, like just say, all right, well, thanks, you know, and just sure. and I try to stop them and say, hey, well, what intrigued you about that property? You know? Uh huh. I have the next one. If yeah. somebody's back and just watching websites, it's good to do that. But if you're just doing that, you're missing, you know, some inventory you could tap into. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And and tap in early ahead of everyone else looking at the website. It's good to establish yeah. that relationship with a with a knowledgeable, passionate, uh, and, and trustworthy agent. Um, uh, yeah, definitely on the on the front end of things. Good, very good. And then, as far as the values go, too, you know, they're going to be very familiar with with the values. Mm. And you know, if it's a if it's a twenty five hundred dollar an acre property, and, and and somebody else has it listed at thirty five hundred, well. You know, if you can lay out, an agent's going to know and lay out example after example and, and give comps like, hey, you know, we send in stuff in the high 2000s at 3500 That's stretching, you know, mm-hmm. for this Certainly. other area, 3500 might be a bargain. Yeah, right. Totally, totally. So what other, what other things should, should a buyer have in order and in place? I think one thing is setting, setting down and just – and, and literally writing out a detailed list of what you want in a property. What are you going to use the property for? If it needs to have utilities, you know, sure. road access, uh, if you, you know, if you want a garden or want to plant an orchard, it has to, you know, it can't be an all rocky mountainside. Uh, or you could say, Hey, I don't mind buying uh, a slope or a ridge or rocky ground because I know I can get a little, I want more acreage for my buck i don't mind having a little more rough ground to get more acreage you know because that's you, you're gonna get a little better value on on that type of ground of course so just coming coming out with what's the what are the details i mean just every single detail there, there can't be too many details in a in a description of what you're looking for because that helps us as an agent you know dig around because like you say we're looking at properties just day in and day out and we might have been on the property before they're interested in and we may say yeah what you described that's a perfect fit or more often than not tracy has looked at a lot especially showing different buyers says man it's not the what you've described that's property doesn't have that so we it's a time saver too sure if you come up with the details of what you know you're kind of looking for yeah no that, that that's really good really solid um, you know, one, one thing that is, I, I think people always need to be, let's say prepared for and ready for is the ability to act. So what, how, how would you say, well, I guess what I mean act on is mm-hmm. they make contact with you. You, mm-hmm. you tell them about this place, they go and they see it, but mm-hmm. then you got to write the contract up, um, and, and you know contingencies on financing all this stuff all that kind of comes into play um at what point should they be getting you know pre-approval letter um should they just be ready to as, as they begin looking and driving and touring farms you want a guy you know pre-approval bank letter no contingencies this and that especially maybe this this um pace of the market how fast mm-hmm. things are moving kind of talk someone talk us through that equation and how you're trying to um prepare buyers for that that readiness that quick decision not to fo- obviously force them into something um a, a contract or anything like that but if properties just aren't lasting that long so having that good detailed list of does this check all the boxes or or 90 percent of them you know that's great but like there's still a a kind of a rubber meets the road we're signing this contract 
you got the financing? Are you ready to go? Are you ready to pull the trigger here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just that goes back to step one is when you talk to the lender, go ahead and get that application filled out. And I encourage talk to several, you know, see which ones have the the best rate, see which ones you like to deal with. You know, the ones that, that will respond back and kind mm-hmm. of in a time manner and get all that, all that paperwork filled out. Even if they suggest, Hey, just bring us the property when you get it, we'll do it. I, I'd say just go ahead and get it filled out. You know, you got, that's just one step that saves, that might save a week's time to get that kind of that pre-approval. If you've got that and can put that in with your offer in a competitive offer situation, somebody that's already been pre-approved for, for a certain amount, because it would look more favorable to a seller than if they, they're not pre-approved. So that's mm-hmm. just one step to take care of up front. It's easy. It's very easy to do. Yeah, I think I think there's a strong consideration for the other party in that contract is is what does that what does that look like to a seller if they're are in a competitive market hey i'm sending this in with pre-approval we're good we don't have contingent as many contingencies this is a firm strong offer um mm-hmm. that always is going to look good mm-hmm. oh yeah no doubt about it so what are some other aspects of of buying land that um someone new needs to be considering i think one thing that i see a, a new buyer is maybe they're looking for a property that's just maybe just perfect yep. it's just absolutely perfect right out of the gate and that property can come along and if you want to wait on that that that's great but what i think a lot of people will be successful with is get out get started on a on a maybe a smaller property or a fixer upper type property because those type of properties you could actually buy something that it meets a lot of needs and you can get in there work fix it up hold it for a few years you know sell it make a profit roll it into the next one that goes on a lot i know many people that have been successful at a young age young mm-hmm. young guys that uh now they may own you know, 200 acres outright because they started in their late twenties, thirties, they might've bought 10 acres. They might've bought two lots. They might've bought, you know, five, a five acre lot split it, made a little money and just bumped it up. And now they're sitting there with a couple hundred, you know, hundred, 150, 200 acres paid for in their thirties because they just started out by buying something, you know, buying something sure. small to start with and, and fixing it up. I mean, y'all do a lot of, of information on what you can do, you know, to manipulate a property to, you know, make it hunt better, make it look better, mm-hmm. right? Uh, harvest timber, and there's ways to, you know, of course, to harvest timber where you uh, make money, make it look better, better for wildlife. They put roads in. I mean, it's just uh, there's strategies in buying a small piece and fixing it up that you can roll that into the next one i think people overlook that that aspect of it and just try to shoot for that perfect property first one out of the gate yeah i, I definitely think you're right there there's some strategy and there's there's more or less the the long-term play but there's i always kind of talk about you know, buyer pool there's a lot of people who can buy and and afford the 30 40 acre tracks um, so generally speaking, if you own one of those and you're looking to move up and you've done those improvements, 
probably not going to take terribly long to sell it. There, there's a lot more people who are probably looking at that 30, 40 acre size. Um, and they may not have, they don't have to be a hunter necessarily, but um, there's a lot more people who can afford that than a 300 acre farm right out of the mm. gate. Yeah. And right here in this region, it's kind of a, about if the purchase price is around that 300 to 350,000, that the buyer pool is big from that and below. Mm-hmm. and above that is a total purchase price. That's kind of the tipping point. It starts the buyer kind of taper off. So if you could have something in that range, you know, that's, that's current day market, but if you can have something in that range, it seems to sell very quick. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what about, I guess talk 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 through um, the time frame in which you get let's say you identify a place, you get it under contract. What should someone be expecting on it's under contract now? How long are we expected to be able to close on this thing? Like, when do I get the keys to the gate? Because I feel like sometimes there's some unrealistic expectations there. Um, and it changes year to year, busy closing companies, so on and so forth. But, but what does that generally look like? How, what do you tell people to prepare themselves for on a closing time frame? In general, and I'm speaking for around this area, you know, North Alabama, but the country in general has had, you know, out, outstanding, uh, real estate, both in the residential side and land side for about two years now. Mm-hmm. And the volume on these closing companies and title companies has been, you know, more than they've seen in a while. So in the past, if you're getting financing, they'd say, we can probably close it 25, 30 days. Now it's more like 30 to 45, sometimes 50. Mm-hmm. It seems like, it seems like half closing get bumped to even another week or two past that. So, you know, realistically, I'd just say if somebody's getting financing, probably 45 days around this area. Certainly, yep. So in 45 days from under contract to closing, I'd say 45 days. Yep. And and two, uh, going back to getting a property under contract, there, you know, you, you've got some, you know, if you feel like it's a hot property and, and you're going to, need to look it over a little more there's some due diligence time you can build into a contract too sure if you if you're going to build a, a home on it you can do perk test or if you want to get a timber cruise so there's you know you can build some more time in for yourself to look it over good if you feel like it's if it's going to uh, be kind of a hot property so that's another just kind of another thing you can keep in mind is uh if you're a little bit reluctant to pull the trigger you can you can work in some due diligence time to, to kind of give it, you know, a good thorough look. Yeah, absolutely. What other, what other strategies do you have? Um, you know, when, when you're, when you're working through a, um, a contract that you just make these recommendations to folks, survey is always one that comes up, seems to come up. Um, people are always asking about, should I get a survey? Should I not? How do you best answer that question and guide a first-time uh, land buyer? Yeah, I like. I I wouldn't ever recommend not getting a survey if somebody wanted one. Mm-hmm. But what I do in general, if if it was my personal property, my brother he is a surveyor, so I get some good 
advice from him. But you, you know, there there are apps that are out. The uh, yep, there's one that I use daily. Yep, and now they have parcel data on there, but that's only as good as what the county can provide. Correct. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't buy a property based off the line that came from the county. I, I mean, they're close; they can get you very close, but some of them can be off and off significantly. So what I like to do is look at the legal description that's on the deed of the property and compare it to the lines that are on the, on the tax map or on one of those apps. And if there's something a little, you know, if it looks off, then it might be time to get a survey. Sure. Uh, but if, if you look and see that there are established pins, you know, established corners and it matches up with a map well and the legal description looks good, you know, it's not a it's not a requirement by any means. I mean, most lenders, if they have a good legal description, they're going to be fine. You know, uh, loaning on the property. It's just when you have something that somebody has maybe built a shed or a barn. It looks like it could be across the line or some type of encroachment. Sure, it it might be a the time to get a survey. Mm-hmm. But and it, it it gives a good like if you're from a it, it just gives a good clean look to the property it's not it's never a bad idea to have one i recommend some sellers a good many sellers to get a survey if it's if there's something out there if it's been in the family decades there's some old fence lines it's just sometimes it's a little more clean if you can get it on the front end yeah absolutely absolutely um what what other tips have you got for first-time land buyers I think a first-time land buyer, you've done research. You kind of see, all right, I can see what these properties are listed for. I can, you know, kind of, I'm talking with my agent, and he's saying what they're selling for. I think some first-time land buyers may look at properties and say, man, I like this property, but it's high. It's listed high. Yep. Yeah, high. Well, you know, most sellers, they're not going to, you know, they, they want to see an offer, you know. Yep. There might be something floating out around there that's listed somewhere, and you say, "Man, that, I don't really think that's four thousand dollar an acre land." But I mean, it, it's awesome, you know. It's probably thirty-two. Well, what if you offer them thirty-two? You, who knows? They may take that, or they may say, "Well, I can't sell it for that, but I'll take thirty-three." You know, just for an example. Sure. That happens. I think sometimes people see the residential market and see that it goes for less price or or maybe even a little over list, some land sellers are not, you know, they're just, they're, they don't have to sell the land, but they want to sell it, but mm-hmm. they're, they're not moving out. So it's not like uh, that sense of urgency to sell, but they still, if they get a good fair price, they're willing to sell. So I think some people are discouraged by a real high list price and then, Maybe they wouldn't make an offer, but I've seen some deals pull together for. So I just, you know, and then at a certain point, you don't want to overpay. So then you'll just have to say, all right, well, I'll I'll just move on to the next one. But I I think some people could probably buy properties if they would just make that offer. Right, right. I think I think you're definitely right. That that um, let let's say uh, the listing value or listing um, price compared to a closing price, um. Yeah, I, I've I've seen eighty percent, as low as eighty percent, but mm-hmm. eighty five, ninety percent of asking price. Um, yeah, 
that's fair on a lot yeah. of places. Yeah, on on that, that's on land. That's a good general rule of thumb. Now, you know, on smaller acreage, and you know, some of them are priced well, and that's just you know they sell it. They do sell at listing price. I'm not saying all sure. of them are that way, but I, I just I've just seen too many properties that that you know you you know they're awesome. So why not make an offer at market value or what you've researched, know that's market value, and see what happens. Totally, totally. What would you say to the person who is buying and they want, okay, so we, we have like raw land or, or, or land that doesn't have any infrastructure on it. Um, uh-huh. That's common, right? That We see that sell often. But then mm-hmm. there's also the farms with cabins and there's farm you know with barns and this and that once you start to throw infrastructure into the sale of a property what are some of the other things maybe inspections and such that that they need to be prepared for um and, and you know how it differentiates differentiates itself from just a raw land purchase mm-hmm. yeah anytime that a property has a cabin on structure of any sort i would definitely recommend a home inspection that's just, I mean, it's a few hundred dollars, four or 500, but it can save you such, I mean, just such a tremendous down the road. It's just the easy money to spend. Mm-hmm. I'd spend it every time, even myself. I mean, I look at a lot of places, but I'm not trained to inspect a home from the inside out. Certainly. Home inspector, they'll, they'll inspect, you know, the crawl space, the attic space, you know, just a very thorough inspection of any sort of cabin is definitely recommended i've seen it save a save you know tens of thousands of dollars to people absolutely so so what happens what happens if um you know a home inspection comes back and there's some things that the buyer didn't see the seller didn't know that hey that's an issue that that arises how does that normally work out um, and as an agent, what, what is your role in trying to figure that out? Yeah, normally on the front end, we may put a, a you know, two to $5,000 range of like, hey, if the inspections come back, the seller will cover up to $5,000, we'll say, or $2,000 on repairing whatever found in this inspection. Yep. And then you always got, you know, if there's something like we had a, a lake cabin one time it had just tremendous termite damage that was not very it was not evident at all actually from just visual inspection from outside and it would have been you know thirty five thousand forty thousand dollars worth of repair so you know in that case he just you know buyer just dropped the whole contract but and it was a cash deal so Mm. the lender you know no no lender no appraisal so yeah he had to fork that you know, whatever repair, $40,000 worth of repair over. So well, that's the, that, that, that's just the importance of, of having that done, that inspection. Yeah, absolutely. You, you literally never know what's happening really behind those walls. Sometimes you find some things that are built, um, maybe sketchy or shady and, uh, you just, you never know exactly what you're going to find. Uh-uh, and they and they're they're trained to look for that stuff. They're, it's a trained eye looking at that stuff, and where just the common person even looks at it a lot would never would never even you know know 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Let another thing that often comes up um, w- when land is moving is easements. And we're gonna first just talk about like access easements, um, mm-hmm. but then we're gonna talk about factoring in conservation easements into maybe um, sale prices, restrictions on what you can and can't do. Um, was advantageous or prohibitive to to some buyers, but let's first talk about um, access easements. Mm-hmm. How do you begin to you know work through those situations with prospective buyers? I've told this to several people that, that have asked about easements. I think some of my biggest problems in real estate have a have revolved around easements and primarily sure. lack thereof of sure. easements because what has happened on, on rural land, there's not a County road that can touch every piece of rural land. That's just impossible to do. So over the years, folks have, you know, used logging roads, just little, you know, maybe it was an old gravel County road and that's how they've accessed the land. Well, that, you know, decades ago, people just realized, Hey, that's, that's going to, you know, Mr. You know, Mr. George lives out there. That's where, you know, of course he's going to take his driveway to his house. Well, over the years as, 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 uh, kind of land usage rights and stuff have kind of transformed. People are not so eager to allow people to cross their land, so to speak. So the, the deeded easement, where the actual easement is described on your deed that you have to the land is very important. A lender in general is not going to loan or lend money on a property. Some sort of deeded easement. Definitely. Right. So you have to, has to have legal deeded access to the property for a lender to approve and uh, that, that property. Now, there also is those situations where, um, let's say there's just been a word of mouth kind of agreement. Oh, yeah, you can access that. Well, mm-hmm. and then, right, when it comes to selling a piece, title work or what have you, turns up, hey, there's no, there is no actual easement. Um, mm-hmm. what, what is the next course of action to acquire an, uh, a deeded easement? Because, most states, I think most real estate law, um, can't deny someone access to a property. What does that process look like? Because it does come up. It seems like an oddball thing, but um, it 100% comes up in uh, rural real estate. Mm-hmm. I think I'm working on about three that's similar to that right now. <laughs> See? It works. It comes up. I have 46 acres, very beautiful pasture land on a creek, flowing mm-hmm. creek picturesque but no deeded easement yep fortunately in this case it crosses two landowners both of those landowners have known this family for years and says hey yeah mr larry he crossed there you know since you know 1962 so yeah we're going to give him the easement he, they said just uh, have them survey that road that goes in there and we'll convey it to him for one dollar so all right. we got to do they have to pay for the survey to get him a, it's a 40 foot you know 40 foot wide ingress egress you know along that existing road so you know that, that worked out smooth they're not 
most of them are not anywhere near that smooth. That's correct. Well, the dream. And as far as from, you know, or a state, you know, you can't, state laws, you can't landlock somebody from a property. That, and that's right to a point, but that's a, that's a long process to get that. Mm. If somebody is kind of night, it's yep. just a long process. And plus, they have to get the best access for the easiest, you know, put it down the property line and say, all right, well, there's your access. And you're looking at a, you know, an incline of about, you know, 45 degree incline. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's my access across some rocks and limestone outcroppings. And, you know, so that's, you know, like I said, access is, is very important. Now, I'm not, if you do have a DV easement, to me, that doesn't bother me. I mean, that's just, just as good as anything. Sure. I, a small acreage, in fact, my personal 80 acres that I own, I, I don't have, I don't touch any county road. Yep. It's that's by a 30-foot easement. It's about, it's about 150 yards, you know, off of a county road, about 150 yards long, 30 feet wide. And then it accesses the 80 acres, but I mean, it's good gated access. I have zero problem with it at all. In fact, like that, it, it there's less uh, development around it, mm-hmm. homes around it. So to me, from a hunting standpoint, it actually hunts bigger because you have more kind of like habitat around it as opposed to, you know, a road and four houses and, you know. That's right. It's like that. Yeah, so absolutely. I don't find an easement at all, but it just needs to be in place, you know, a deeded, good solid written down deeded easement. Absolutely. So what what about conservation easements? Because um, that, that's pretty common. Uh, maybe maybe someone, previous, um, previous landowners put some conservation easements on a place. Um, each one, each conservation easement too is, is unique uh, potentially to, Itself, that area, um, what is restricted, what's not, but how do you begin to to decipher as a as a buyer, and how do you guide a buyer through evaluating conservation easements? Yeah, I think the first step would be to t- to go figure out what in your area what uh, land trust. There's different land trusts that hold the easement. So in this area, it's the Georgia Alabama Land Trust is a big one. There's several others. But you can approach them, you can go on their website, you know, seek them out in that area, whatever area you're in, seek those land trusts out and just kind of read up on their philosophy on what they do. They have several contact people that that are glad to talk with you and just talk through the details of a property. Right. Because there's certain areas that they'll say, all right, in this area, we have an, an initiative to protect, you know, mature hardwood ridge tops. We have, a, you know, in this, uh, in this uh, stream basin, there's a certain, who knows, a lizard, yep. a minnow, or, or whatever it may be, certain wildlife that, that has a high value to them to protect. We may not know that. You know, it's hard to know all, all the specifics of what they're looking for, but they can walk you through that and and kind of evaluate your property. It's not, it's no charge to talk with them and evaluate it. So that would be the first step to see even if you have a property that would be 
they would want to conserve, if that makes sense. Certainly, right. The the right attributes or features of that property. Um, yeah, the, the, we run into them pretty often, um, but <laughs> some, sometimes they, they can be restrictive to maybe um, development of, of the property, future development, or it just limits to the degree of development um, or locations of development or intensity of timber harvest. Um, so those those details, like you state, are just important to be able to figure out on the front end. Um, yeah, and, that, and that's what they'll go over in an initial site visit. They'll they can they'll say, all right, here's what here's what we could do on this property. You're not going to be able to harvest timber on this hardwood ridge. You know, we like this habitat. It's it's a limited quantity in this area, so we're going to you know no harvest here. But you have this pine plantation in the bar, bottom. You can you got 100 acres. You can you know harvest up to 40 acres every five years or, right. or, you know, and you can kind of help. They don't dictate everything of the conservation easement. It's kind of a, a dual riding situation. So they'll, they'll ride it based off of what you want to do. Of course, the more restrictive it is, the more, uh, uh, tax break and tax incentive that you could get. Certainly. So, so the, the more restrictive it is that you, you'll get, you know the tax benefit is better totally totally so what what um we're we're wrapping up on time here but what what is kind of some last closing thoughts or any other points that that you've got in your head or written down that you're like you know what most most land buyers maybe they're 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 new or they're they're experienced that you're like they need to know this and be prepared anything else yeah I just think a new buyer, you just got to get started. I mean, just get started. If you're intrigued by it, find something small and raw and just get started with it. Yeah. You'd be surprised. I know a a younger fella. He's like I said, he's probably early thirties and, and he's very, a very humble guy. He, he's a fireman. He's, he's run a lawn care business, but he just saved his money, you know, several years saved his money. And he's bumped up, and I, I mean, I've helped him buy and sell properties, and he owns now, I mean, over 400 acres with two homes on it, and he owns it outright. I love it. Early 30s. And it's not on a, a giant, um, you know, to start with. Sure. He just made wise decisions, saved his money. So th- there's opportunity out there for that. Uh, so I just encourage, you know, just to get started. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice. Great advice. You, you have to be able to get started, move up, transition, improve. And this is one of the things that, um, or a few things that, that if you're doing it right, you're buying properties right, you're improving them, you get to enjoy as these 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 uh, investments as you make money. Like, yeah. You, yeah. Get, you get to enjoy the land. If you, if, like you said, if you're intrigued, um, you have a passion for it. It is it is a generally pretty safe place to put some money. Um, they just gotta make sure you're buying buying them right. So how how does how does someone how does someone do that? How do they get started? Yeah, I just think. And two, I just thought of another point. Yeah. Don't from from a 
you mentioned it too. You know, we work you and I. We work a lot of people that hunt on the land, but also don't don't think of a, a property as only a piece of hunting land, and you only go there when it's hunting season. Sure. You know, so many other things you can do. I mean, I went out to to my eighty acres this morning. I I like to have a property that's close. It's within. 12 minutes i can be from mm -hmm. you know, on my property i went out there this morning i saw a mineral lick i thought i'm gonna put a camera on that they're really tearing it up you know and i just kind of looking around planning yep i had my own ex out going actually because so i'm gonna put a trail i've been wanting a logging road for like oh, yeah. a trail here to access the stand so i'm sitting there walking so it's just something you can go out and enjoy you know all all year long I mean, that's right. my little girl we go out there and pick blackberries we have an apple orchard so we'll pick apples when they're ready i mean it's just there's a lot to do on a piece of land other than just hunt i mean we love to hunt of course but there's stuff to do out there all year round really absolutely man that's awesome um well, ben i appreciate your time um how does someone who's interested in buying land especially in northeast alabama how do they reach you yeah they can reach out by phone my, my cell i always have it with me it's 256-391-2107 is my number or my email address ben.richardson at whitetailproperties.com and like i say i do this day in and day out i have a four-seater kawasaki mule that i'm you know ready to go and show efficiently have a good mapping program so i i love what i do it's it's my passion and be glad to help anybody that had any questions. Man, I, I appreciate it. Great, great podcast. And uh, hopefully this will be a great um, buying guide, um, things to do, things to get in and check uh, and process when you are going forward and buying your first piece of ground. Mm -hmm. Yep, I, I appreciate the opportunity and, and, and I enjoy listening in and Hey, hopefully, hopefully you hit hit record last time. I listened to the last podcast. Y'all got a couple dip on one there. Oh man, I felt like I was on repeat mode. But yes, look, luckily I'm 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 looking at this. We're still recording, so we're we're good here. But uh, yeah, man, I appreciate you following along and doing what you do, um, and assisting people there in in Alabama. Um, hopefully, hopefully some folks will reach out to you and, and start that process. And I love, I love it when, um, you know, on, on our side of the fence, let's say we get to see and work with new people, um, and places that they just purchased or, or get an email, Hey, I'm closing in two weeks. Um, when can you get out here? I want to, I want to take, um, I want to take care of this place. I want to want to do it right. And so it's fun to be able to work with those people who are passionate about land, of course, but but also uh, driven to be good stewards of it and passing, let's say, the movement of land, the transition of land from one hand to another. It's just a special thing. So we're we're both uh, really blessed to be able to do what what we do um, in our in our own respects. Yeah, and I've enjoyed over the years watching you and Adam, you know, y'all just prevent, pre present such, you know, just very useful information. I take some of the, I take as much as I can soak in and I love to do that too. Go out and help somebody plan their property. I'm not, a, yes. I'm playing rookie ball compared to <laughs> what y'all, but it's, uh, it's fun to do to go out there and see somebody succeed on, yes. on developing their property. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, man, appreciate it. Um, that thank you for your time and, and your expertise. 
All right. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah.